0: Welcome to The Vault, where Central Illinois' best-kept stories are held.
1: We'd like to welcome Micah Bartlett to the podcast, a former CEO of Town & Country Bank. Welcome to the podcast, Micah.
2: Thanks, John. Thanks, Nick. I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm honored that you asked me. I have to tell you, I'm also a little bit anxious, nervous about this because we, we all work together, mm-hmm. which means you know all the bad stuff about me too, <laughs> and I have absolutely no leverage over you, which means you can totally yeah. use that against yes. me, or you can roast That's me, it. you know, so I'm feeling a little vulnerable here. <laughs> But I'm sure we
1: are right? it's not a revenge podcast. Yeah, okay, no, good. Right. <laughs> good. And we okay. spend most
0: of the time roasting each other. So okay, just good. Laugh at us just, just kind hear. of, yeah. just light roasting, yeah. for me, Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll keep it light for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, what have you been up to? Well,
2: well I, I just got back to town. Actually, we've been traveling uh, a little bit, my wife and I. We, uh, as you guys know, I retired as of February 8th uh, of 2023. Congratulations! Following, thank you. Yep. Following our Uh, Falling Town & Country Bank's merger with Heartland Bank, and uh, so we've got a, we actually have a motor coach that we uh, like to travel in, and we have a place uh, in Florida where we kind of leave it for the winter, and this year we took an extended time frame to come back to Illinois, so we've been on the road for 30 days and uh, just got back last week. But it's good to be, good to be home in Springfield, too. It's
0: the coolest thing you saw on those 30 days. You know, place you
2: went. well, you know, actually, probably the highlight was uh, we we stopped at a place just outside of Asheville, North Carolina, and okay. went to the Biltmore. Right. And that had kind of been on my bucket list, but I didn't know if I wanted to take a special trip just to see mm-hmm. it. But since we were in the area, it was cool. That is such a cool place that everybody should should mm-hmm. see, I think. And it's, you know, still the largest residential home that was ever built, you know, built in the late 1800s from you know the original Vanderbilt's grandson, and so now I'm that. all obsessed about the Vanderbilt story, and so we've ended up watching the the series, "The Men Who Built America." Yeah, and got all, yeah. And so it just tying all that together. But you know, even just seeing the the lands and the building was pretty cool. But we had a lot of cool experiences okay. riding riding bikes on the beach at Hilton Head. You know, I've nice. never done that before, so it was, it was a pretty cool trip.
0: Yeah, I was just there a few months ago. That's, that's a great spot. Um, what, what kind of square footage are we talking about in the Biltmore? How, how,
2: 175,000. Holy cow. When, when he, this is, uh, this is uh, again, Cornelius is Vanderbilt's grandson. When he first built it, it was going to be a, when he first planned it, it's going to be like a 6,500 square foot <laughs> property. Uh, and uh, the architect said, no, you've got this wonderful piece of land here. He had many, many, many acres, like it started with over 100,000 acres. He says, you need a house. For the grandeur of the property, right? Yeah, there so, you go. It was cool.
0: There That's awesome. Anything you've uh, learned about yourself that you didn't know since you've been retired? Have you got some more time?
2: Oh, I think so a lot. You know, there's there's certainly more time to reflect and kind of make sense of it all. Uh, you know, I had 33 straight years and in community banking not even a one single work day in there that was uninterrupted in that 33 years so you know it's 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 awesome but on the other hand it's weird you know it's weird you know i'm 49 years old so i'm kind of a young retiree i'm not really done yet but i am retired um and so you know you go through those phases of trying to make sense of all that and Mm -hmm. what do you what do you do with your life and you know mostly i just feel uh blessed and fortunate but but you're also reflecting on what what's it all mean and and what's next so
1: so that's been that's been fun and rewarding to go through that quite frankly Yeah,
0: that makes
1: sense. so i think you have a pretty cool past how you got into banking and stuff so why don't you tell us where you're from you know how you got into banking just start from the beginning and all right but you guys know how i can talk so yeah, you, have, right. you may have to you may have to break me up
2: no, I grew up, um, I was actually born in another state, but I grew up in uh, between Girard and Carnival, which is, you know, about a half hour south of here. And I uh, was a farm kid. And uh, actually, my for a year and a half, we lived up in northern Illinois. My uh, my my uh, mother uh, met my stepfather. And uh, so my, fir- my first pan gig was mowing yards when I was in the first and second grade. And I had a self-propelled mower. And I would just go out. We lived in a single wide trailer in a mobile home park. And I would just go around and mow people's yards nice. and get whatever they would were willing to pay me. And uh, I remember I was the youngest of, of four kids. I'd come back and the rest of my siblings are watching um, cartoons on Saturday morning. I'm like, I just got another 90 cents for mowing somebody's yard, you know. <laughs> and so it's kind of funny in a weird way, even at that early of an age. Like I was always kind of finance oriented, money oriented. Like I, I just was in, right. intrigued by it, right? And the funny thing is I saved that money and i never had a i never spent it i didn't want to i didn't want to buy anything with it i just liked saving and accumulating the money so i'm like i guess i was destined to you know be a guy of finance right you know but um, anyway that was kind of funny my, my first my, my first paying job was actually working for my stepfather who was a rural township road commissioner okay. and so i literally was a ditch digger right when you hear that <laughs> expression but i you know other things too but uh, so yeah, yeah so i started that probably I was, I think I was probably too young, actually maybe 15. But um, but I was making $6 an hour there you go. working on the roads. And then I have this opportunity to come work at the the local bank. It was the State Bank of Gerard at the time. That's now part of the First National Bank of Raymond. And, um, and my, my uh, business teacher in high school, uh, uh, the bank had reached out to her to look for some recommendations just for some high school students as like summer tellers. Nice. And she recommended me. And uh, so I st- I started because of that. I was kind of thinking I'm 16 now. I should start looking for a job, you know. And that's that's kind of where I started. And you know the the rest is history, as they say. But the funny part was, so I, I take the job. I don't even know what it pays, <laughs> you know. And I'm like I don't know. I, it's a bank. That sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, it's gotta
0: pay good, right? Yeah. yeah. So
2: <clears throat> I think I, st- I think my starting wage was like 3.85 an hour. Well, I was making six dollars an hour working on the roads. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like now I have to wear a tie and yeah. I'm coming to the bank yeah. and I'm only making 3.85 an hour. Mm-hmm. And I think. Seriously, it took maybe like three years before I got back up to the six dollars an hour that I was making Dang. on the road, but it, it worked out okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. that's that's the early that was the early start. But uh, from there, then I worked. Uh, so I worked at uh, State Bank of Jar and First National Bank of Raymond, uh, all throughout finishing high school and finishing college. Uh, uh, then I, uh, you know, I studied accounting, and so I became mm-hmm. then a CPA, passed the CPA exam. And uh, and ended up uh, kind of being the kind of de facto CFO at at uh, at that bank, although we didn't use that that title. And after I finished that, and you know, had the CPA designation, I thought you know maybe it's maybe it's time to kind of spread my wings a little bit. So um, there was actually a correspondent banker named Larry Tucker, who a lot of a lot of bankers and. In this area know and um, we had done some business with him and so i reached out to him say you know i'm thinking maybe i need to you know spread my wings a little bit and uh, so he actually introduced me to a guy named dewey yeager who was the president ceo uh, of the central national bank of mattoon so dewey ends up hiring me there as his uh as his uh, cfo and Dewey ended up being a lifelong mentor and lifelong friend of mine, and actually is also the reason I'm at Town & Country, you know, kind of all these years later. Um, sadly, he just passed away about six months ago, and so that was sad, but we also, you know, honored a great person, and, and the family asked me to make some comments at his his funeral, which I was honored to do. And so he's he was a, a very pivotal, pivotal person in my career, and lots of great bosses, lots of great mentors, but... You know, he really, really uh, taught me a lot and certainly helped me, you know, along the way. I mean, uh, you know, it does sometimes take recommendations and introductions and things like that. And that was certainly certainly true in my case.
0: So what, why do you think that that worked, that mentorship with, with you and Dewey and, and the other mentor? What was it that... Well, done? in his
2: case, it's mostly because he wasn't afraid to tell me the truth, you okay. know, and so whether I wanted yeah. to hear it or not, right. he, he was that kind of a guy. And, uh, well, and right. I, these were even some of the comments, you know, I think I made in, his, in, his, uh, in the eulogy that, you know, he was tough. He was not an easy Boss, but he was utterly and completely fair, and you always knew where he stood. And he was honest; there was no unauthenticity there. And so, you know, I learned I learned by watching him things uh, things to do, maybe a few things not to do. But you always got honest feedback, and and that um, you know that was great. And uh, and so he ended up. uh, We actually we we only worked together for one year in in Mattoon. Um, The owners of that bank ended up deciding to sell. And so Dewey uh, moved on moved back to DeKalb, Illinois, where he had worked previously. He actually was originally from springfield he was He was at, at one time like the senior commercial lender for the original Marine Bank of Springfield okay. here and mm-hmm. worked at, in, in that bank for many years. But he went back to DeKalb and then asked me to come with him. so um, I had an opportunity to either stay with the the company that bought our bank or to move with him up to deKalb and obviously, I decided to do that and uh, so I spent uh, a few years working with him then and that was that was actually a kind of a probably at that time at least the most um maybe sophisticated organization I had worked for SEC registrant public company so I ended up doing Mm -hmm. a lot of finance work I kind of became the de facto CFO there um and uh, you know had a a, a really good experience up there so yeah it's been uh, it's been great and then just to finish the finish the resume so to speak um, uh, I had an opportunity to to uh, go to Stillman Bank in Rockford, uh, where I was the CFO, and so then I was there uh, for six years before uh, having the opportunity to come to Town and Country, which was presented through Dewey. So, you know, I'm skipping a yeah. lot of a lot of I'd detail there, that, but sure. Dewey ended up retiring, came on the board at Town and Country. Uh, Town and Country was in need for a new president, and so uh-huh. Dewey recommended me and uh
0: and the rest is is history again i guess and that was your entrance into springfield too right that
2: was my entrance into springfield yeah so even though i grew up in this area and you know springfield was the big town when you live in yeah. in yeah. gerard i had not worked in in springfield before so yeah so that was 16 years ago uh 2007 that i had the opportunity to to come here and you know as you guys know it's been fantastic and and town and country is is uh you know we, we all we all have a special uh, 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 place in, in our heart for it but I, I kind of feel like it's my baby a little bit along yeah. with the rest of ours and I'm yeah. just very proud of what we accomplished there obviously you know the growth and the success that the bank had mm. but maybe more importantly the the people and the culture and you know as you know we weren't perfect no, no organization right. is but I'm just extremely proud of of what we did there so yeah. Yeah.
1: so when you came on to Town & Country I think a pretty significant piece is your age at that time so how old were you and how did that affect you coming in like you know what was the dynamic yeah, right, right yeah no it's
2: interesting i think probably you know i don't think about it as much i mean 49's not young not old I'm just an old middle-aged guy right <laughs> um, but uh, but age was kind of a theme in my career a little bit you know because I, I kind of I started young and I, mm-hmm. I just kept at it you know and so the, the funny the, 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 I'll, I'll back up a little bit so Dewey who I mentioned hired me in Mattoon that was in 1996 I think. So he hired me as his CFO. The title was cashier at the time. Cashier was at the, the title uh, of the bank sure, used as the yeah. kind of the head operations and finance person. And uh, and so he hires me. And uh, at the time, I was 22. Uh, and he hired me to be his, his CFO. Well, on my resume, you know, I don't, I didn't spell out my age. I just said, well, I had six, at that time I had six years of bank experience. I was, you know, I graduated college, had a bachelor's degree in accounting, was a CPA. He just, you know, I think he assumed something a little different. And so he hires me and he, and afterwards, of course, we ended up being great friends. He, he, he told, he tells a story that a few weeks later, he finally realized like how old I was. And he went home one day and he was talking to his wife. And he's like, Kathy, you, you're not going to believe what I did. Like. I hired a 22-year-old <laughs> to be our CFO, and he mostly felt bad. Like he's not going to be able to do this uh-huh. job, and I've this kid has moved to yeah. town. I mean, he's uprooted mm-hmm. his life. Mm-hmm. You know, this is terrible. I mean, I can't believe I did this. How did I not know he was 22 years old? I thought I, th- I thought he was young. I thought maybe 26. You know, something right. like that. Right. Um, obviously, that all you know that all yeah. kind of worked out. So that was kind of the first interesting um age uh chapter but you know at the time i've been working six years i've right done a lot of stuff in banking i thought i know what i'm doing you know and so yeah. i didn't think 22 was young mm-hmm. in retrospect i look at them like that was pretty young yeah, you know yeah, yeah. um so then fast forward um to town and country uh so so i was interviewed here and 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 they you know hired me to run the run the bank when i was 33. So again, of course, now I'm now I'm at that time I'm thinking thirty three is not young, you know. I mean that's yeah. I was I was twenty two when I got hired mm-hmm. as a CFO, right? Yeah. And uh, so I I don't think that, but I'm aware other people think that's a young age, and 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 now in hindsight I'm like that was pretty young, you know. <laughs> um, and and the irony there was um, so you know the Kirshner family has. Uh, had a a, a a control interest they were majority shareholders in the in the company and mm-hmm. so you know Dewey had recommended me um, John Stout who of course you guys know really yeah, well who I also consider a wonderful wise mentor right. of mine um, uh, Dewey and, and John kind of started the interview process with me, but then I came down one weekend and interviewed with Dave Kirshner, who was the chairman, and at that time his father, Henry Kirschner, was mm-hmm. still uh living. And so uh so I met with both of them, you know, for an interview. And I thought, this is a little ironic. Like I'm thirty three years old, and I think at the time Henry was probably 92 plus or minus a little bit. I thought this is really an interesting yeah. extreme here. And so I was, you know, kind of ready for the question, right? Like yeah. how are you going to run this company at that tender age? And you know, you don't have a great answer for that, but my answer which was the truth is I don't expect other people to make age an issue. I'm not going to make age an right, issue. Right. We're just going to get to work. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we're going to go into a room. We're going to talk about what we need to talk about. We're going to deal with the issues that need to be dealt with. And I'll either have knowledge and skills, or I won't. But I'm just going to be who I am and, and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, I, that's it. I mean, yeah. all you can do is be right. yourself, right? I can't right. pretend that I'm a different age. And but to your, you know, to to an element of your question there, what was that like? You know, I'll be honest, you know, and of course, in the end, you just get comfortable in your own skin and everything's fine. Mm, In the early days, there was times I was walking around the halls like, am I really running this place? I mean, this is a little weird, you know? Um, And and I was probably aware of that when I've got people that are old enough to be my, you know, Mm -hmm. parents or grandparents that are reporting to me, you know, and things like that. But, um, you know, again, my approach was just, be real, be who you are, Mm -hmm. lead with whatever knowledge you do or don't have, do your best and don't overthink it too much. Yeah, that's
0: like, I mean, imposter syndrome, I think is definitely a real thing. I mean, I've run into that before and I can't imagine it. Yeah. 33, you know, that would, I don't know, that'd be an epic level of imposter syndrome for me. Yeah,
2: it's funny because, you know, I, on the one hand, you know, one of my big, beliefs is, you know, I'm really into just being real, be authentic, don't right. try to be something you're not. Um, on the right. other hand, I am totally a product of fake it till you make it. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and it wasn't like in a fake way, right. yeah. but it was also like, I don't know. I don't know that right. I don't know this. And um, and honestly, um, I had some folks ask me the other day, like, what's the, what's the thing that you know now that you'd like to tell, you know, the younger version of you? And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, actually, I think maybe that's a bad thing. Because you're better sometimes to be naive and not know Mm -hmm. those things. Because I'm thinking if I knew all of that, maybe I would be too scared to to jump in the deep end or to Mm -hmm. try things. And so it's almost like I was really young at the time and didn't know what I was doing. Right, right. I had to learn as I Mm -hmm. went and, and adjust quickly. Well, I don't want to tell that. Twenty-two or thirty-three-year-old version of me that because it would you wouldn't do the same thing. Yeah, you don't want to tell them anything
0: beyond just go for it. Yes, yeah, Yeah, hundred percent. I like that. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah.
1: So uh, throughout your time at Town and Country, we worked together for around ten years. Um, I think you were always kind of known as a creative, visionary type person, always wanting to try the different, the new. so, what are some things along the time that you were at Town and Country that you felt like were maybe some great ideas that you had or implemented, or maybe even some terrible ideas? Right. There was plenty of both of them, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't, you know, if people, you know, ask me, it's like I, I struggle to say, oh, I'm a visionary. You know, it sounds a little self aggrandizing you know, but, but that is where my skill set is. You know, sure. I'm a thinker, I'm a brainstormer, mm-hmm. I like new ideas, I kind of get bored with same old same old you know i don't really like the day-to-day i I like the new and you know trying to and and trying to really see the world and have a perception of where it's all going and then figuring out how to position a company for that Mm -hmm. i just you know i'm not the type of banker that thinks oh heck you know just take deposits make loans do what everybody does because i'm looking at the world and i'm seeing that you know the way that people consume financial services and what they need it's changing so rapidly. And we all know that. We all talk too much about change. But, you know, it's, it's real. And so, you know, I just constantly was trying to figure out how can we position this company to be successful, but also in the context of the resources we have. And right. let's be honest, companies sometimes have limitations. I mean, we didn't have endless capital. We didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, endless resources to do every, you know, every crazy idea. Um, but, uh, you know, in the, in the early days, of course, you know, I came... Um, it, kind of with a little different idea. When I came in 07, you know, it was more—it was going to be more about, you know, kind of strategic positioning of the company, maybe even looking at acquisitions. And then the Great Recession hit shortly thereafter. And so the whole world changed. And all of a sudden, it was a little less strategic and more mm-hmm. about, hey, every bank has got to get through this Great Recession as unscathed as possible. Now, luckily, Town & Country was always safe and sound, but, you know, we had a few ch- challenging and they're not nearly as much as the average bank, you know, right. but it was really about day to day, you know, really uh, keep your nose to the grindstone and, and keep the bank safe and sound. And so, um, and so then, you know, when we came out of that, it was probably, you know, towards the end of 09, 10, when then we kind of started getting back to, all right, let's think about, you know, how we position ourselves and what, what is our strategy. And so we did a lot of things in terms of, you know, branding and trying to kind of reposition both our, our internal culture and, and our external brand and how people saw us. Um, and, you know, mostly, I mean, I'm a positive guy, so I'm going to mostly reflect on that in the, in the yeah. end, it all worked, right. you know, certainly there was a lot of things along the way that didn't work. And, you know, and, and I'll, I'll make it more about me, you know, I think the things that didn't work, quite frankly, were when I wasn't in those earlier years, I wasn't as clear about if you're a visionary, be a visionary, but that probably means you're not very good at implementation, and that was maybe where we struggled a little bit was we had great ideas and great vision and things like that. And we did good, but right. we probably could have implemented better, sure. right? We could have made right. it more tangible. Yeah. We could have sure. put better process in place or whatever. And so it took a lot of years before I finally like gave myself permission to say, it's okay to admit you're not really as good at that side of it as you are at this side of it. So just do that, Right um but you know in the end uh you know the company grew you know very nicely um you know with with no outside capital you know we everything was self-funded you know Mm -hmm. as we made profit you know some people don't like to talk about profit but you know i'm proud of profit profit is what lifts people uh -hmm. lifts people's standard of living up and that's why this country has done so well is because we are you know capitalist society and profit's not a bad thing it's Mm -hmm. a good thing and in our case um, over 90% of the profit that town and country made every year stayed in the company. It, it stayed in the company. so that's how we were able to fund our growth was because as we as we made more profit, we retained it. We never issued a dollar of new capital the whole time I was there. And you know when I started when you take out the noise, um, the company was making a profit of about a million dollars a year when you mm-hmm. take noise out of the numbers. Right. And in the end, yeah. when you take noise out, we made about twelve million dollars a year. Wow. So you know, going from one million a year to twelve million a year, that's, and you know, yeah. all all throughout that, and but retaining that profit is what you know again funded our growth. We were about three hundred and fifty million in assets when I took over. We were over nine hundred million in assets in the end. You know, that's not the the best growth story ever in terms of a bank, but in terms sure. of self funding, right. it's yeah. pretty good, right? Yeah. And and, organic. And, Right. And that was, yeah, it was great. It was a mix of organic, more organic, and then to some extent acquisitions. We did do three yeah. acquisitions during that time. Um, and so that helped. But when you really peel back the, the numbers, you know, with, you know, everybody knows when you do an acquisition, you, you grow, and then you, there's a little bit of attrition with that because mm-hmm. change creates controversy, you right. know, and yeah. some customers opt out of that. Um, and, and you hate to lose any, but you also understand that's part of the deal, right? And right. so we mostly, you know, I think, I think at one time I actually calculated it was, sixty sixty five percent organic growth and maybe you know 35% or so was from acquisitions and so I'm very proud of that yeah. um, you know in the you know in the last uh, really seven years our performance was I mean we were always good and safe and sound but the last seven years you know we had really kind of achieved more of a high-performing status and that's one of the things that and we can talk certainly more about the, the merger with Heartland too but that's one of the things that really made sense is in downstate Illinois Town & Country Bank and Heartland Bank are two of the highest performing banks oh, right. in downstate Illinois so mm-hmm. you know you're putting two high-performing Forming banks together, mm-hmm. we weren't identical in terms of how we did things, but you've obviously got that kind of discipline of running a good bank and and paying right. attention to the things you need to pay attention to, and in different ways, but also being you know progressive, being innovative, looking for the future. Mm-hmm. So that that worked well. But in the last several years, I'm particularly proud of that. Um, you know, we we started to get very focused on what what we. Um, what we were doing and so i think one of the things that's a challenge for a lot of community banks is the all things to all people idea yeah. that yep. you know hey we're in the right. community we're regulated we've got to serve everybody we've got to do everything and that's, that's great. I mean, and I kind of get that and it's, mm-hmm. it's warm and fuzzy and it's apple pie and motherhood, right? Yeah. But on the, but it's not a great business strategy, you know, because if you're not focused, it's mm-hmm. hard to get good at things. And so, as you guys know, we did everything as far as what a typical right. community bank does, but we got very focused, you know, commercial banking, mortgage lending. Obviously, we had a mortgage banking um, subsidiary that was very successful, both in terms of our own retail origination but then we also had a wholesale program where other banks um, providing mortgage services through our platform because we had a, a platform that was built for a, a shop much more uh, large than ours but uh, but really commercial banking was the bread and butter obviously you guys uh, know all about that and uh, we just had wonderful relationships wonderful bankers um, you know one of the things that I loved about our our culture and certainly you two are included in that was we just had really good professional people mm-hmm. it wasn't I, you know everyone's got different cultures they like different kinds of people i never liked you know i I like high performers but i don't like hot shots if that makes sense you know it's like you know having some humbleness and, and and really being customer oriented wanting to understand the customer story knowing that hey if we're smart and we listen we're going to find creative solutions for customers and just having really good professionals smart bankers you know as you know we don't micromanage how you a relationship and how you manage it it's you know you need good people mm-hmm. to do that i couldn't do it i can't manage your, re- right. your relationships you know you we've got to have great smart people like mm-hmm. you guys to do that so very proud of that uh, as you know we put in a management system um in, in the last actually the last what was it, five or six years that was for me revolutionary it had mixed reactions at certain levels in the company but for me it was huge because mm-hmm. all the all the things that leaders deal with, trying to get people on the same page, and how do you communicate, and how do you try to get everyone rowing the boat in the same direction? You know, everyone tries to do that, but if you don't have a common set of tools or principles that you follow, it's just everyone figuring it out on their own to some extent, and you're trying to corral the company as much as you can. So for me, that was huge. And, And as far as a lot of our financial success, the number one factor that led to that because all of a sudden we went from having leaders that were all kind of a little bit doing their own thing to all of a sudden we were extremely focused on the goals that we had and we accomplished them year in and year out we accomplished our goals because you know, you're know you focused and you and yeah. you do what you need to
1: yeah that's a long answer to no it's perfect for your question <laughs> uh, so something that you touched on I think is something that's kind of behind the uh, curtain for most people, including I would say even bank employees. Um, Everybody knows bring in deposits and lend it out to the community, right? It's kind of a circular community effort, right, to grow the community. We lend grandma's money to a small business, right? Right. Um, But like the M&A part of it, the mergers and acquisitions, how does that... Come to fruition. How are you guys? Are you just calling up CEOs and saying, "Hey, you want to sell that bank or what?" You know, like what and is was it interesting to you? Any big like funny stories or anything from that? Yeah, there's gotta be one crazy story. Yeah. That's Let's see. Part, you could well, there's all somebody asked
0: you a question. Or...
2: Yeah, there's all there's all kinds of crazy <laughs> stories. And, and actually, um, it probably not for every bank, but you know, certainly in my case, those conversations happen far more than people really want to admit they do because. Yeah. It's kind of like I mean it's the corporate equivalent with dating, maybe speed dating sure. right like everybody's looking yeah. everybody's looking for a date, right? Yeah. And, uh, and and I think you know from the business perspective, um you know maybe it's a little bit over but i don't think so i mean this is a scale business now yeah. you need scale you need the resources to be able to keep up with you know technology and, and sure. innovation and you know we think about it just in the terms of the united states but you look at other countries even like china china's much farther along than the united states in terms of like digital mm-hmm. you know currency mm-hmm. and, and and digital banking right. and, and things like that and so Um, You know, the the United States is a very fragmented banking market still. um, Even though people don't love that there's been this mass consolidation of banks, we still have thousands of banks in this country. Illinois has, I, I've lost track a little bit, somewhere between three and 400 banks, the second second only to Texas in the number of banks. Wow. It used to have 1300 independent banks, right? <laughs> and so, but even, it, it, I, mean, I hate to say this, it's not gonna be popular, but it's still probably too many to be able to have sure. the yeah. the scale and the resources that you really need to, to compete. But yeah, I mean, I had conversations all the time, had conversations with local banks here mm-hmm. even, right? And, um, you know, throughout, from the very beginning, you know, lots and lots of conversations um, over the years. And, and of course, you know, you always talk about the benefits of scale and, you know, how would the numbers work and things like that. But really, it's the cultural and the people aspects of it that will make these things work or not. Right. You know, for a bank, you know, yeah. even in a merger, you know, one bank's really the buyer and one bank's the seller, of mm-hmm. course. And for a bank to be sold, somebody ha- a human being has to want to sell it. A human yeah. being in, yeah. in power or influence has to want to sell that bank. And and then you have to see if you can get all the human stuff out of the way, like well wait a minute, we got two CEOs here and who's gonna run the place and Mm -hmm. you know, there's all that stuff that that all gets talked about in a nonlinear way. Um, uh, during that. So, you know, our first acquisition was actually a a branch office in Quincy. That one happened to come through, you know, that was a branch sale of a much larger institution. And so they were just kind of, um, you know, rationalizing their branch network. And so it happened to be some investment bankers that I had met up in DeKalb, you know, I don't know, ten years, fifteen years before that, oh, cool. that reached out to me, and so then that was really our first, mm-hmm. um, our first acquisition, and, and was was pivotal, I think, for us in terms of just taking that first step to say, hey, we're not just the same town and country. Like we're going to do these things, we're going to innovate, we're going to try new things, we're going to push ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can do this successfully, um, and then and then actually we had two acquisitions in 2016, a whole bank. And, and another branch office, and so that was a challenge to, um, you know, to do that. I guess probably the f- the funniest story was um, so we we acquired um, a branch in Fairview Heights from a bank called Centru, which um, has ended up being an extremely successful um, opportunity for us, and because of the people. I mean, yeah, because we have really, great. Yeah, I mean, fun. we do right. Yeah, we have yeah. great people there, right? Yeah. And it's just been, I'm very proud of that. It's been a very successful uh, part of our history. But uh, the the bank that was selling that branch, the CEO was a friend of mine and actually had also worked for Dewey. I mean, just these, oh, these small yeah. world things are just really interesting. And so he and I talked and their bank had actually had some some challenges and he was the CFO named CEO to kind of help the bank fix their challenges. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, you know, you you guys need to kind of rationalize some of your bank as your. um As you're moving your company, you know, kind of out of a troubled situation, our company wants to continue to grow. They were in Northern Illinois and Southern Illinois, St. Louis. And so I had this idea and I said, hey, why don't you guys like sell us your Southern Illinois, maybe St. Louis operations, but over time, like we'll like participate loans so that it's like a soft landing for you. Because they needed the earning assets but they also needed to kind of rationalize sure. themselves. And I said, I got the perfect solution. Right? Yeah. So it would let us grow gradually. We'd buy right. the portfolio, participate some back to them. We'd, we'd grow as that kind That's of a great idea. Yeah. You know, amortized and then they could move on to their right. other things. But both sides, it wouldn't, it wouldn't stress our capital. It wouldn't hurt their earnings. I, great idea, right? Yeah. No, that didn't work. So, um, But but eventually the CEO called and he says, okay, Micah, you know, we actually are going to sell, you know, some of these branches. So I'm going to I'm gonna have an investment banker reach out to you. We are going to go through a bid process. I'm sorry. I know we've talked about it directly, but we're going to go through a bid process. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I'll wait to hear from the investment banker. I never hear. So like a few months later, he calls me back and I'm like, hey, what the heck? I never heard from him. He goes, well, you know, he got caught up in some stuff, but hey, we're, we're ready to do it now. You're going to hear from an investment banker. And... Uh, And so same thing, I never hear, right? And so one Monday morning, my friend, the CEO of the bank, calls and he says, Micah, he goes, you know, I I owe you a real apology. The bids for those branches were due Friday. He goes, but when I told the investment banker to make sure they reached out to Town & Country Bank, they reached out to a Town & Country Bank in Missouri. Uh, not yours and so like I had to like double time it like okay we got to figure out whether this is an wow. acquisition that we want to do and so you know I had I had already been to uh I'd already driven the market and we were actually looking at, at three locations and I don't want to say anything terrible but um I remember I called uh Dave Kirchner, who was our chairman after I had kind of driven the market I said well you know here's the bad news a couple of these locations it's a really long drive to someplace you don't want to go. Sure. And so I'm like sure. so I told I told uh, the CEO I said, Look, here's the deal. I'm interested in Fairview Heights, but I'm not interested in the other ones. Right. And so if that can work, great. If it cannot work, no hard feelings, lines, you right. know. Well, there was another bank that was interested in the other two locations, but not Wow. It uh, worked not, out perfect. Not Fairview Heights. So and I and I can't really disclose terms, sure. but let me just yeah. say this way. It it was it worked extremely well for us in terms of how yeah. how that got valued and how that yeah. got split out wow and so you know those are that's just one kind of interesting yeah. story of how you meet you meet these people and all these connections and one conversation leads to the next and so yeah. it's not always just this you know linear process of how M&A happens and uh, and you know similar similar with our when we acquired uh, premier bank of of jacksonville that was actually a, a consultant that both banks had had that he kind of had the idea that, hey, maybe this would be a good deal. Uh-huh. And as you know, um, Todd Green's family had uh-huh. a, a significant ownership interest in that bank. And so uh, Todd and I met, I don't, I don't remember how long. It It was well over a year, maybe two years that we had conversations before we right. you know, finally got around to a deal there. So these things are really um, just very nonlinear and everyone has its own story. But I love it. I loved that chase um, I wish we could have done more of that mm-hmm. but again everything we did was self-funded it was all cash right. acquisitions we didn't raise capital we didn't issue stock as part of that so I couldn't chase it as fast as maybe I would have liked to if mm-hmm. I'd have had that you know capital checkbook right? right but nevertheless it was good for us and all the acquisitions worked out well for us and so you know very proud of that part as yeah. well
0: I always imagined that at any of those CEO summits where all the banks CEOs get together that they're just you know Talking about this stuff all the time. You know, it, well, who's buying? Who's selling? Absolutely,
2: you know it's a it's a huge topic in every conference. But there's actually one conference in in Arizona each year. I've and, heard of this. Yes, and it's called the Acquire or Be Acquired yes. Conference <laughs> <Right>. (AOBA). <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. And really, that's a big conference that people that are in that game they go to that. Yeah, and it's I mean, just a good conference. Otherwise, right. but it's loaded with all these investment bankers. You know? yeah. they're going to buy you cocktails and dinners uh-huh. and stuff like this. And 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 they have it. You know, in a couple different ho- hotels they have it up there's all these side rooms and there's all these side meetings going on everybody's talking deals so down it's exactly there exactly what i thought it it's was. exactly what you think and the funny thing is if you're a banker sitting in the sessions you're probably not doing deals <laughs> because all the bankers that are doing deals are skipping the right. sessions because yeah. they're having side right. meetings or right. whatever um and certainly i think um you know, when we were looking, you know, we were obviously looking at different options mm-hmm. for ourselves. And, and, you know, and, and you know, over many years, the board and I had talked about, you know, hey, we got to scale, we got to do the right thing for the company, for the shareholders, should, should we buy, should we sell, should we mm-hmm. merge, you know, all these things. And I think I left one of those conferences, and I came back and I wrote a, wrote a memo to, to Dave and the board, I think there were seven different options and conversations hey this thing might have That's some legs cool. this was cool but i don't like it you know yeah. and so it's just that kind of stuff was constantly going on and i'm sure you, know, you guys probably knew that in the bank but those are the things that when you're like what what the heck's micah working on what's, you know what's <laughs> it doing
1: like those are the types of things that are always right. going on yeah. as you say kind of behind the scenes you know? yeah no, that
0: makes perfect sense
1: so was there some big crazy idea that you Really wanted to do that, either wasn't possible or like a branch in Seattle. Get it to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some big dream um, that you, you know. He, actually, Henry Kirshner was uh, was probably
2: the one. Sometimes that had the big, the big crazy ideas. He he really wanted the bank to open an office in Florida. Two thousand eight. Yeah, but yeah, but maybe the wrong time. But it it, it it all worked out. No, I think um, you know. I mean, I had a ton of crazy ideas, I guess, but you know, I'm, I'm I'm this kind of brainstorming guy, but then I'm right. also the CPA. So it's like, yeah. at the end of the day, I'm not reckless, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to do reckless sure. things. But I think my big my big thing, just, you know, this is more kind of from a finance perspective, and, and we, we were starting to work on this is, this is a little wonky, but kind of the debalance sheeting of the industry, I mean, you know, banks are very focused on their balance sheet, mm-hmm. take deposits from grandma, we loan money to the small business, you know, whatever and um, you know they're just going to constantly be more disintermediation so it was really trying to position the bank to to make the balance sheet less relevant you know every bank when you say oh hey tell me about your bank oh they want to talk about their asset size right mm-hmm. yep. well you know in our in our case you know we were also focused on revenue more so than a lot of a lot of banks you ask what their revenue is the CEO may not even know the number they don't quite think the same way that other businesses huh. do well we also That's grew we, we grew our revenue from 13 million to almost fifty million, well into the forty millions in that same time frame too. Mm-hmm. That's pretty significant yeah. revenue lift, right? Yeah. And so I was trying to position us to be more nimble, like other businesses, where it's not so much about the balance sheet because that's what limits a bank's growth. Mm-hmm. You have to have capital to support the assets, and you have to have deposits right. to make the loans. Mm-hmm. But what if you have a business model? that's not as a first party to that but as a facilitator or whatever then you can grow as quickly as what you are strategically able to do that and I still think that that's where it's going and so banks talk about oh yeah we need more you know fee income or non-interest income sources which is the simple view of that but the the bigger view of that is you know how do you legitimately have a different business model where you're still fulfilling the financial needs Mm -hmm. of whoever your constituency is but maybe doing it in different ways where it's not, you're not limited to your growth and how quickly you can scale. But uh, so those were the, those were kind of the crazy ideas. And we, so we nibbled with that. Obviously, you know, our mortgage business, that's an off balance sheet sure, yeah. business, you know, yeah. but it's it's also why we got into some of the other things we did, like the SBA program and even like doing some of the affordable housing and some of the other kind of niche things that we had done over the years. It was all about, you know, seeing what will work and then trying to position ourselves where we can remove kind of the the limits to growth.
1: Mm -hmm. Did we ever look at buying any sort of outside companies, accounting firms, anything? I mean, we had a a share of a title company, obviously, which is a common practice for banks, but uh, was there any?
2: Yep. Yeah, we looked at at insurance agencies. We looked at even kind of some joint ventures uh, along those lines. Um, I'm trying to remember. I mean, there was uh, looked at uh, looked at some specialty finance businesses. I, there's a lot of things we looked sure. at. We obviously mm-hmm. didn't didn't uh, didn't bite, and, um, and and so those those made sense. I mean, everything you've got to just really you know th- th- this is why I think having a solid strategic plan, core values, mission, being very clear about all that stuff, and not just words on a sheet of paper. Like, mm-hmm. do you really believe it? Does this really have meaning? Not just you know me. I mean, I like to have pretty brands and, and expressions and things like that. But I also want the business behind that to make sense. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing where you've got to have that filter or else it's it's squirrel. You know, you're mm-hmm. just looking for the next squirrel running down the road. Yep. And so we were pretty disciplined about does this fit with what we've said, how we're trying to position ourselves. Well, as you know, it's harder to find something like that that does fit than, than doesn't, right? And so um, a lot of those types of acquisitions come with great opportunities, but they also come with... Ch- their own unique challenges sure. that could throw you off of what your your positioning is. So, you know, in the end I think we grew um we pretty much grew as much as we could mm-hmm. given the, the limitations that we had. So um you know we we, we only did two or three things of the hundred ideas that we had, but it, it they, they mostly worked.
1: Yeah. So uh obviously the last several months have been really interesting to say the least in banking. Uh some bank failures Some other banks that have been called out for being on the edge and maybe some big injections to help those banks out. What do you see happening in the banking world in the near future and maybe even a little further out, United States-wise, and maybe even like local community? He's asking if we should
2: look for other jobs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think you guys are going
2: to be fine. I will tell you, though, it's been funny, you know, in retirement... I've had I've been of two minds, you know. One is um, I'm kind of relieved that I'm not having to deal with some of this right <laughs> now, fair. you know. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie about that. On the other hand, as you know in our in our mer- in town and country's merger with uh, with Heartland, um, you know there was stock and cash involved there. I preferred the stock. We let our shareholders kind of choose, right. and then we made it all work. And I, I wanted the stock because I really believe in the combined company. So mm-hmm. I'm still pretty heavily concentrated in, uh, in 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 Heartland. I'm a big supporter of Heartland. For a lot of reasons but partly because i'm a shareholder Mm -hmm. um and uh so so i'm a little anxious about you know the bank stocks have kind of been been beat up a little bit you know first of all my perception is that um you know a a lot of this is where perception becomes reality and it's it's almost more a crisis of of confidence Mm -hmm. so when you look at you know even some of the banks that failed um if you looked at their 1231 financial statements from last year you would not see that this is a bank that's gonna fail. Right. Profitable, well right. capitalized. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Silicon Valley Bank had a low loan to deposit ratio. Their, the, the problem was, you know, this is again getting into the details of banking. They had a, a reasonably long duration bond portfolio, safe bonds. They were gonna get all their money back from those bonds, but the market value of them changes as interest rates change, right? Sure. So with this huge spike in interest rates, they had a devaluation of their bond portfolio. Had people not panicked about that and just stayed calm, it would have been fine because eventually they get all their money back. It's just kind of accounting, right? Mm-hmm. But that phenomena created panic in some people. And then, you know, you, you guys have heard the stories and people are kind mm-hmm. of saber-rattling about that. And all of a sudden, they had a run on the bank. That's In, in the end, well, that's why banks fail. It's a liquidity crunch. It does kind of expose the Achilles heels of banks, which mm-hmm. is that, you know, we, we take a dollar of capital, we add, you know, $9 of deposits and make ten, make a $10 loan or $8 in loans and whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if you come in and want to take all your money out of the bank, I could say, I've got the assets, Nick, but I don't really have enough cash to give right. you. Yep. Customers don't really like to hear that, right? And so it does kind of expose that that Achilles heel a little bit, which again, you know, to my earlier point about, you know, my long term view was we need to de debalance sheet the business models a little bit. Because that is kind of the Achilles heel of banking, mm-hmm. is just that reliance on that sure. leverage yeah. and that we need the confidence right. because these guys weren't having losses. Mm-hmm. They really didn't have actual fundamental financial concerns that would have been catastrophic in the long run. It was the loss of confidence and then the run on the bank, right? So I think um, now, it, it, you know, and of course you can probably imagine, you know, how I how I view some of these things. You know, unfortunately, I'm not um, a huge believer in our in our fiscal policy right now because you know we're trying to control inflation. Through raising interest rates which tends to um, affect demand when most of this was caused by a supply problem Mm -hmm. right and so i'm not a huge proponent of some of the fiscal policy and i'm actually not a huge proponent um hopefully maybe you can edit this out of a a super proactive federal reserve i I have more faith quite frankly in the markets to kind of regulate where interest rates should be and i think sometimes when you have more of a bureaucracy regulating that, you can get significantly unintended consequences like we're seeing right now. I really see a lot of this as unintended consequences of a little bit too much bureaucracy involved in the markets, right? Um, So having said all that, it it basically comes back to what I said. I think there's gonna continue to be consolidation in banking, and I think that debalance sheeting the business models is gonna continue to be important. But here's the good news, and I'm always an optimist. People still buy homes. People need mm-hmm. a place to live. Businesses need capital. You know, when you peel back, if, if you detach yourself from the specifics of what a bank does mm-hmm. and instead look at the purpose for why we're here and get customer-focused, what do the customers need, there's going, to be, there's going to be these needs, I think, for as far as the eye can see. Right. They just need to be provided in different ways. And so the banks and the bankers that are innovative and can adjust to that, they're going to be fine because you're going to figure it out. Those that just want things to be
1: the way they were are not. you know. So that's just kind of the way I see it. Yeah. Those banks that, that end up owning the troubled banks um, a lot of times come out with a really nice uh, portfolio that they get to take over. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's a, uh, a method of getting capital into those troubled banks? that the government could manage instead of just fire-selling it to somebody else and you know, you know it
2: the problem is with these things it, it becomes about time and and the, the time and this panic and loss of confidence just don't work very well together and i will say you know the fdic they they know that what you don't want to do is get this compounding impact from sure. so that, there's a reason why they always announce these on sunday mm-hmm. it's because they want they want it settled before the markets open you know and so, um... Maybe, but it's very hard to get that pulled together. And so instead, what they do is they craft these deals over the weekend to just instill confidence. But there's a lot of shareholders that got. I'll tell you, I had some stock in one of the banks that failed. Not a huge amount, but I mean, I I, I read an article Sunday night. I said, Oh, I just got my stock wiped out. I had yeah. I had some stock in Signature Bank in New York, so I thought it was a reasonably good bank, you know, and mm. a little bit undervalued. But um, so take my advice with a grain of salt because <laughs> I had some uh, I had some stock in in that bank, but. Um, but but um, you know I I think that you know I'm more of a proponent of the market figuring these things out Um, I do think that you know the Fed is one of their jobs to be the lender of last resort well You know, some of these banks did actually have the assets. You know, there's a market value issue with the bond portfolio. You you could argue what the Fed should have done was just lent them as much money as they needed to to make up for the deposit outflow as long as they were still solvent, could still, you know, pay their bills and and the, the, the government could get all their money back. But it's hard to do that now because that's perceived as a bailout. It's not really, it's not you're not bailing out anybody, you're just you know, um, funding the institution,
1: which banks have access to those funds anyway. Right. That's yes, one right. of their funding sources. That yep. some are. Considered to be more emergency funds, but you know there's all types of funding sources right. that I can get all. Yeah,
2: up. but in these cases, when you're losing 40 percent of your funding in in a few weeks, it's just it's just catastrophic. Yeah. You know? So, but I I don't perceive there to be a banking crisis um, uh, at all. There is in these limited instances. I don't want to underplay that. There's right. been pain out there, right? Um, but banks are banks are well capitalized. They're safe and sound. The significant increase in interest rates has caused the margins Mm -hmm. of some banks because of the cost of funds. It's caused that margin to decrease that's not in most the vast majority of cases that is not a catastrophic blow that means oh our margins down a little bit we may have a little bit less revenue next year we may have a little bit less profit next year than we have this year but it's not like loan losses and people are defaulting on loans and we're losing massive uh, p- portions of our assets or capital so i my biggest um, uh, and my wife keeps telling me you need to get out there and talk about this more my biggest thing is everybody calm down like everybody just (laughs) calm down because we don't really have a crisis here these are well-run institutions they know how to balance these balance sheets yes is there episodes of mismanagement of course there are because we're all human right Mm -hmm. but everybody everybody needs to realize we don't have um a, a crisis here we just have a lot of the this is all by the way the ripple effects of COVID. It's all the ripple effects of COVID, shutting sure. down the economy, supply yeah. issues, interest rates now reacting mm-hmm. to inflation. It's, it's this up and down. And, and, but those, those waves are going to start to streamline a little bit as we get further and further away. The economy will work. Things will kind of level out, and everybody just has to be calm and let
0: that happen and by that time all of the cfo's will just be ai bots. So, <laughs> yes, that's that's right. said. Yes. So you guys are going to have to get the to, human out of yeah, it. Yeah,
2: you guys are going to have to explain that to me. I mean, I get it, but it's that's an interesting topic to, uh, I, can, I don't I don't I think
1: love I can. AI. Yeah, this is this is ai guy over I here. i writes all my credit memos. <laughs> do
2: you do, do you find your approval rates a lot higher when Yeah, they are like, wow, oh,
0: this guy is smart. <laughs> he knows a <laughs> lot about this industry. I, yeah. He keeps talking about his loan assistant that he has what's like, well, the name and I think I just figured it out. Rosie. Um, do I uh, do, I to,
1: do I need to go back? Did, did you
2: program? Hey, what are the buzzword Micah likes to hear? Yeah, and if yes. that's in the credit memo, okay. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. that's good. Um, so, aside from wearing sandals more often, <laughs> what's what's next for you? Yeah. Um,
2: well, I, you know, I'm 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 pretty much retired right now, but you know, at 49, I'm not done, um, and so I love. You know, my two passions were always, you know, people and finance, mm-hmm. and it's an odd combination. You don't usually put those two together, yeah. which is why, you know, community banking was wonderful for me, I mean, right. that's what it is. You know, yeah, it's people I'd, and I'd finance. In that boat too. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's awesome. And so, um, uh, so I'm gonna be working, I'm doing a little bit of work with my stepson. He's actually got a turnaround cool. firm, and we've got some ideas of some different things that we want to do there. You know, Sorry. we're different. You know, I'm the banker and kind of the intellectual, you know, and he, he's got, he's really bright, got a lot of grit. He can go into kind mm-hmm. of distress situations and help companies. But uh, in the long run, I'm looking to kind of work with, the put a group together and, and work with a team and do some direct investing a little bit in the private equity right. space. I love business. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of owning businesses, of improving businesses, mm-hmm. um, but more from that kind of strategic in f- strategic business, but also like strategic financial perspective more so than like day to day operations so yeah. i 'm not uh, i 'm not really as interested in day to day operations mm-hmm. as I am you know strategically right. positioning doing some direct investing and and things like that and not you know I may do a little bit of of um, a consulting and kind of strategic advising to to some i I have mixed feelings about that. You mm-hmm. know, I think consultants are awesome, but you know, I didn't. You know, sometimes you you know, consultants can come with a bad name too, which is you yeah. know, telling people what they already know, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I'll do much of that, but I'll, I'll probably dabble a little bit there. So nice. it's going to be a blend of kind of doing awesome. doing what I want to do from that perspective, and you know, quite frankly, traveling more, spending more time with family as well. Um, you know, town and country reasonably. You know, in the, in the world of community banking, we were you know kind of a medium-sized community bank in mm-hmm. the world of banking overall we were tiny right but mm-hmm. but it's still you know when you're in that position it's it's all consuming and you you know you're oh, yeah. thinking about everything sure. and worrying about sure. everything and i loved every every minute i love most minutes of it um, but I'm, I'm looking to to kind of have a different phase here where i'm going to do some more things independently but then also have some some time to pursue other interests and worse angles and wear sandals. I might be to become a permanent Birkenstock guy. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, wore, I wore
1: them today because I knew your camera wouldn't uh, yeah. wouldn't be able to see my feet. Yeah. yeah well, you kind of I pioneered the the, uh, the no tie thing, and uh, you know, banking has yes, right. Banking has gotten a lot more casual. Yeah. I think you know, CEOs, business people in general are are much yeah. more casual. You see a lot more sure. polos, and you're actually starting to see more jeans and polos right. and uh, you know, the stuffy suit is kind of, uh, it's appropriate at times, yeah. but it's not necessarily a, a day-to-day yeah, and, thing.
2: Yeah, and you know, my real perspective there, um, again, for me, everything comes back to be real. Be yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't be fake. Don't be phony. Mm-hmm. Don't try to act like you're better than other We're all just doing our thing. Yeah, you sure, know, everybody's but, just trying to have a relationship and, and do things. And so, you know, my real view was um, be yourself and be appropriate for whoever you're doing business with, sure. you know, but... Um, yeah, I think, uh, um, you know, There's everybody's got different views about that. It's fine. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong on that issue. Should we be casual? Should we be formal? Um, but, you know, my thing is let's just be real. Let's be who ourselves and don't be intimidating. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I never liked... I never liked the aspect of banking that, you know, somebody's got to come in and sit across the desk right. and beg, beg for yeah. somebody to make a decision yeah. about them. It's like, no, it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's two-way. Yep. You know, we're, we're honored to have people do business with mm-hmm. us, and it's two-ways. So yep. that's, that's the, the feeling I
0: wanted. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna try to see if I can get Steve to let me wear shorts. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. We don't need that. In office. He's a good. little more old school, you know. But, but he he likes
2: not having the time. Maybe, to. He
1: has a sweater collection like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Ask yeah. him. Ask him sometime
2: sure, it's on the Cosby Show. <laughs> ask him sometime about what his what his wife and daughters did one time in his closet, though, because uh-huh. they had a they'd had enough of some of the. Out of style sweaters.
1: So. That's funny. Yeah, they keep him uh, updated, even his office decorations and everything. They oh, just yeah. come in every once in a while and refresh oh, it yeah. for him. So. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It is. yeah. It is. Well, what else? Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Or No, I'd probably rather sit and ask how you guys are doing. But yeah. uh, I do want to tell my one Micah story that Uh-oh. I, I kind of – we had some stories, but kind of reflect back on uh, when I was a branch manager at our Dirksen location. I think you probably remember this. Uh, We had a meeting and uh, for some reason, I don't know why we ever did this. I don't know if it's a common banking practice or not. We had profit and loss and balance sheets for each of our branches and I thought that was kind of unique and we were going through them and I was like, this branch is losing money. (laughs) Like, You know, we didn't have commercial loans or anything like that. Obviously the bank wasn't losing money. but. You know, as far as the the small retail loan portfolio was down, we had a lot of expenses, you know, running a branch is not, you know, essentially I was paying my own electric bill. I wasn't writing a check, but it was like going into this, these financials and I'm like, this is very expensive. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're not generating a lot of revenue just with what's going on right here. Mm -hmm. And I remember you on a legal pad, just, you know, John, if you do this, 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 uh, I think you could, I think, you know, over the next couple of years, you could be profitable. And I'm like, wow, I can make this branch profitable. <laughs> and you were like, you know, within reason, we want you to be the CEO of this branch. Right. You know, this is your branch. Own your baby, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I just, that was empowering to me. I was like, I have the ability to do this. Now, I didn't do anything wild or anything, but... I certainly looked at those items and said, yeah, we need to make more loans and we need to make profitable loans and we need to not lose money. And uh, staffing, you know, you got to have X amount of staff just to run a branch. But, you know, I think we did a cool job and I shared those with mine. I my. was just going to say, it's
0: funny you say that because, I mean, that, that was, he did the same thing with me when I was a, a teller working for him at, at that branch. And that was one of the first times where, I, that, you piqued my curiosity by doing that and I was like you know what I probably have a lot to learn and here I am you know eight years later still just trying to learn as much as I can no so,
2: it's great and I, I love the you bring it up because you know well, of course first of all you know in bank it's, it's all about where you attribute the revenue and who gets credit for right, different things sure. you do right but but um, you know I loved that and quite frankly you know, I loved that you asked because mm-hmm. that was a point of difference, right? Mm-hmm. Most people weren't. They were trying to figure out, hey, yeah. how do I get the branch open on time? How do I right. deal with the teller yeah. that didn't show up for work today? You know, I got a customer that's mm-hmm. screaming. And that's all important, and you got to deal with that too. But having that business sense, and that's where right. I wanted people to feel like, yeah, you you run this thing. Like, I'm not going to run this thing right. for you. You can do it. So I loved that you asked. And quite frankly, you know, one of the things I love to do is do that. You know, mm-hmm. take the sheet of paper out. I'd like to you know, I like to share, I like to, whatever knowledge I do have, I want to, I want to lay it out, but I also want to know what you think and how does all this work, right? So that's a, that's a big, uh, a big passion of mine. And that's why also like where my interest is, with kind of this idea of kind of some direct investing and ownership. Again, I don't really want to run the thing. I just like working with people and sharing what I can know. And hey, let's put two smart heads together. So no, I loved it, and it it told me many years ago, hey, John's somebody who cares. He 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 wants to be successful. He wants to do more than just show up and collect a paycheck, and that stuff. Whether I say it or not, that stuff. You're always looking for that. CEOs are always looking for that. Everybody, you know, they say, oh, I wish I could have an opportunity. Well, opportunities are sometimes taken. Yep. You know, you got to raise your hand. You got to be seen. You sometimes you got to do something before it's even in your job yep. Yep. to be seen that way. And that was a good example of where I saw that in you, and uh, and I think it's worked out for you too, right? Yeah. I mean, it really helped. I think for you to kind of move forward in your career. So yeah, I've
1: grown a lot working for Town and Country. I appreciate all the the opportunities
0: I've had. So. You want me to tell my a story? Yeah, now? tell your Micah story. Uh-oh. I'll tell oh, my no. Micah story. Is this is this where we <laughs> end with the roast at the end? No, no, no this is good. This is good. So, uh, as you know, this is my second time around with Town and Country sure. now, Heartland. So the first time, although I think
2: the first time you used John more in your emails, right? I think the bank just. Put John on day, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you were always Nick to us. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. So the uh, uh, the first two years, you know, while I was going to Lincoln Land, was working there. and just a place to do homework, and then decided I was gonna to move to Champaign and, and go work for a bank over there, not because I didn't like what I was doing, it was just I, I had originally planned to go to school over there, and you know, was moving out that way anyway, so town and country didn't have a branch there, so I was really nervous to leave because I had such a good experience for, the, for those first two years, so the, the, my last day was two other people's last day as well, and one of them was a good friend of mine, Tom Johnson, right. you probably remember Tom, and then um, uh, our marketing person, Stephanie, was her last day. And I don't remember who set this up, but they, there was a going away party set up for Stephanie, not for Tom and I, because we, we had, we had kind of kept it secret. Not, not secret, but we, did, we didn't want to leave. So you know, we weren't really trying to make a big deal out of it. Didn't, we weren't there long enough to earn a going away party either. But anyways, long story short, we went to uh, Brick House and we were all sitting around the table and it was a big going away party for Stephanie and at some point somebody was like well isn't it it's Nick and Tom's last day too and you you slapped your hands on the table and said what the hell <laughs> <laughs> It was just, it was one of those moments where I was like, I was like, Micah's a real guy. This is cool. Like, I mean, he actually gives a crap that that we're leaving, even though though I was, you know, I I had been there only two years. I had,
2: I had, I'd probably forgotten that, but as you said that, now I, now I remember that. Well, and I actually was kind of like, damn it, I don't, I don't want to hear this. This is (laughs) bad news, you know?
0: Yeah, it was just funny. And, And that, that stuck with me that, you know, you, you cared about somebody or people that were at entry level positions that, you know, to, uh, it's not super common in, in our world. So, Or yeah. even that they know those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah right.
1: That was right. what was what I've always loved about being in a community bank because I've worked for some big banks that literally my story is they give you a number and when you need help, you call a like 1-800 number and you they're like, what's your number? And you give them, you're just a yeah, number, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I always loved being able to walk into your office and ask a question or email mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, that's... Awesome yeah. to work for a company. Well,
2: one of my favorite things was, you know, we, we would do you know onboarding, new employee orientation. I love, like, going in and talking to the new mm-hmm. people. It didn't matter whether you were a senior vice president or whatever, entry level. You know, I mean, I just wanted to hear people's stories and know what makes them tick. And, you know, some of the most interesting things come out of that. And it also always right. helped me understand, because part of what I like to talk about was how people saw kind of banking and finance mm-hmm. at whatever stage and age they were. And it really helped inform me about what... what's going on with people but you know also having been there myself i mean i know what's going on in people's Mm -hmm. heads everybody's trying to figure out how to what what they want to do with their life how they're going to move forward and i just love the engagement and i don't you know as you guys know i never really took myself too seriously so i loved loved all those relationships
1: Well, I think we could talk all day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Absolutely. You have to break
2: it into two episodes <laughs> yeah. if, we if we don't shut up eventually, Love right? Love it, yeah.
1: So we really appreciate you coming yeah, on. thank you so much. I was uh, very happy that you even took my text message. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, I was honored. I was like,
2: man, these guys still want to talk to me. This yeah. is awesome. Right. I'm right. super happy to be here, and I'm super proud of you guys, and I'm, I'm just honored that uh, to be here with you, and I'm I'm glad that you're with the company. I'm, a, I'm a, again, as I said, a huge supporter, and I think you guys are, are really, uh, you've already done great things and you've got a lot more to do, and I think this is one of them. And so, yeah. congratulations!
0: Yeah, I only got four years to become CEO. To stay on, stay on the, <laughs> yeah. the do it! I'm do already it. like way, way <laughs> behind. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right, well, thanks for Thank coming. Thank you guys. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, yep. uh, thanks, Michael. Great.
2: The Vault.